Yo, check us out. Trust the public enemy. Yo, what's up? This is DJ Yellow from the world's most dangerous group. What's up? This is DOC, the Diggy Diggy motherfucking doc. Yo, 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 what's up? This is your boy, Z-Man. What up, yo? This is E-Shot. This is Jerry Heller, motherfucker. It's your boy, DJ Paul, KOL for 36 blocks. Young Busy Ball. Vice World. This your man, Mastermind, the hell raise up. Yo, this is DJ Ready Red. What up, what up, what up? This is the real Rick Ross, and you're listening to me on the Murder Master Music Show. Over there at Death Row for a minute. 
a little before a little bit. before you got to death row though uh what got you initially uh, uh you know what I'm saying liking music and producing who were some of your earlier influences uh, well when I was growing up I used to listen to a lot of jazz records uh, my dad was heavy into listening to Quincy Jones and um a lot of the old great jazz legends and uh just just uh what got me into hip hop um I heard Planet Rock. Uh, matter of fact, you know, you know what? It was not Planet Rock. It was Kraftwerk's uh, numbers. And, I, you know, I'd never heard anything like that before, just the sound of it. And, uh, you know, I went from playing the piano and being around a lot of, uh, uh, a, a lot of great musicians. But uh, probably around, I'd say, maybe like 80, maybe 84. I decided I wanted to make You know I wanted to be a music producer And I started trying to Dabble into that But I didn't have any, any Equipment or anything And I would You know Get these uh, Managers And stuff like that I had, a, I had a whole rap crew And You know I was doing my thing early But I think You know Quincy Jones And um, A lot of the old Great uh, Musicians Kind of made me Wanted to do Want to do music Because I, I was always good at listening to things, uh, listening to songs and replaying them on the piano. I just had a, uh, I could play back whatever I heard. So I started, you know, playing back, like, the theme song to SWAT. Remember that TV show SWAT? I was, like, maybe, like, five years old when I heard that. And I played, you know, just I was able to play that. I had a gift to be able to play anything that I heard back on the piano. So uh, I always wanted to be a musician and, you know, uh, just being around different uh, musicians growing up in the church and, and whatnot and just, you know, pop locking and just being heavy into hip hop when it, when it first started, uh, it just, you know, spearheaded me into being where I'm at now, you know? Uh, yeah. Really, really big learning experiences. So. It definitely. Uh, uh, hip hop was a game changer. Like you said, you grew up on a lot of jazz and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. Hip hop comes along. You got cutting and scratching. You got all these different elements. Um, yeah. It was very, very creative, you know. Um, now you started early on. Were you listening to uh, a lot of the stuff that was coming out of Macola back in those days? Yeah, I was. Um, I first heard a lot of the Bobby Jimmy and the Critter stuff. Um, I think even, uh, you know, really early on, uh, Egyptian Lover, I, I, he had a lot of influence on me uh, because he was doing a, he was real hot on the West Coast. Even before I heard, you know, I didn't hear the record crew yet. Uh, it, was, it was all about Egyptian Lover. And, you know, uh, a lot of those uh, records on Freak Beat, uh, uh, a lot of that stuff was distributed by McCall, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I heard... Uh, a fat girl's on my job, and I think that was distributed yeah. by McCoy. That was that was Ice Cube. So a lot of stuff uh, being played on K Day. I would sit there by the radio, and I would you know listen to uh, Russ Parr and uh, who just so happened to be Bobby Jimmy. Uh, uh, you know, there was a lot of personalities on on AM radio on, on K Day. Uh, uh, it was Russ Parr and, and uh, Greg Mack. Then you had, you know, the Mix Master Show with Julio G and Tony G and 
you know, he had a, a lot of stuff that was, you know, being played from techno hop, you know, a lot of the, the derivative beats from uh, Planet Rock that just kept going and going for all those many years. It ended up being techno hop, and, you know, the early, like, 85, 86, uh, you know, around the time when, like, UF, UTFO was popping. Remember them? UTFO was, yeah. like, really big, you know, with the Roxanne, Roxanne, you know, all that. You had That was, like, hip-hop. Uh, that's the hip hop I grew up off of. Was was all of that stuff Full Force was doing? You know, I was in high school, and all that was happening with Lisa Lisa. So all that kind of meshed in together with the techno hop and the, the fast beat music that was popping. You know, back then. Uh, but that's what kind of you know nudged me in different ways of creating music and and uh, you know uh, just learning you know different genres, uh, being around. Yeah different DJs, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're, you know, we were uh, students of the game. So we learned as, as creatively as we can, can, can be taught uh, all different styles of music to create. Uh, It was, there was no one sound, you know what I mean? That's, that's the, that's the difference between back then and now. Uh, I think technology has grown expeditiously, but uh, everyone has kind of been kind of stunted in this one type of sound right now. Yeah, there's Which, no distinction. Yeah. Exactly. No. You can't really there's tell no where people are from. Yeah. No. It, it's, uh, well, see, you know, I'm not, I'm not mad at that because I think every, you know, throughout the years, things change. I'm not mad at, at, at the change. Yeah. I just think that people could be a little more creative because we have so much technology. Now, the different genres of creative music, such as dubstep and uh, all of the other electronic music, it gets very creative technologically, uh, and I'm not mad at that. I'm just looking at where we are as, like, where hip-hop is. Um, We're kind of stuck in traps. Uh, on the popular side now there are so many different underground hip-hop artists and there's so many so much great music it just doesn't get to the forefront uh the way that a lot of the trap does and you know i've been living in atlanta so i'm kind of wore out right trap because it, you know what i'm saying like i've been here since it really started you know since they went from crunk to trap so it, it kind of it's been about 15 years really you know what I mean? Like, if you yeah, really they've been. Yeah, yeah, you're been, you're a hundred percent right. Because I used to review yeah, uh, um, CDs and Murder Dog, and I started to see the change and and the shift, and it kind of got stuck in a rut, and it's just been there. You know, yeah, um, it's just stay, it's just staying on that one, you know, that one vibe. Now, it like I said, technologically, with all the different uh, ways that music is being created, techni- technologically with. Everybody can make a beat. You know, everybody's able to be creative. That's great because we couldn't even make music without money back then. But uh, I just think that we can go further if we don't influence each other so much and try to get the vibes from the universe to come into our brains to be kind of original. Like, you know, the the original cats, it was, you know, you you have to listen to your own thoughts to, to come up with something new. And I think everything is about uh, likes and follows. So it's, you know, it's it's this be like this, be like that instead of being original. Everyone's kind of afraid that, 
But if they don't like it because they like something else, you, you know, I think a lot of times we, you know, as people, we look at the way that um, I would say social media is very judgmental and everybody wants to yeah. fit in where, where, where uh, we had terms called biting and, and whack if you, yeah. if you took somebody else's foul, right? Remember those terms? Gonna do that. Yeah, yeah. You know, those, no, no. Yeah, but now, now they don't exist. It's sort of no. like if you don't sound like the other person, then you're going to get laughed at, you know, and, I don't. I don't think that that is. I think it, things should get better, uh, but they've gotten kind of stagnant, you know. Uh, and we need to bring back bands too, you know. Yeah, we need to bring yeah. Shorty B, um, Digital Underground, that type of vibe. Hell yeah. Yeah, we need to you bring know. back bands. Uh, you know, uh, I think what Bruno Mars and them is doing. Or I think they're doing their thing with the, you know, the Soul Sonic. I think that's. That's dope. You know, uh, we've got a lot of dope artists. I can't really say everything is whack, but it's no. just so it's just flooded with a lot of this, you know, same sounding type shit. You know what I mean? But it is what it is. I sit here and mix and master and make you know beef up a lot of these tracks you hear. And, you know, I, I have I have more fun with it now than I ever did because of the technology. So I can make somebody that can't really sing that well, sound like they can sing. You know, it's, it's really fun creating it. But when it gets, when you yeah, get on stage, tools. you can hear it. Yeah, you got, I got, oh, my goodness, I got way more more tools now. Like, it's, it's like the sky's the limit. There isn't anything that I can't do musically because of technology. And, you know, and then having talent to add to that, you know, that's, that's the best part. You know, I can do pretty much what I want to do. You know, nowadays your your capability is is sky's the limit. But let let don't let the lights go out. Now now we're gonna separate the boys from the men when when the when there's no electricity. Now can we make some music? You know, that's yeah. where, you know, once the computer's gone, you know, or let's say we don't have uh Serato anymore. Can you pull out a crate of records and and you know, can we go back to that? If you if, if we don't have the technology and that's that's the separation between then and now you, you know and other than being it, it, it is now they don't want to pull out a crate of records they want to try to walk over a bunch of crates and fall you know it's uh, uh it's crazy I just made a post yeah, about I mean, that in my IG I, I posted a crate full of records that says this is the only kind of crates I fuck with <laughs> you know I'm not gonna right. break my neck for a trend. Yeah, everything is about likes, um, you know what I'm saying, uh, social media. It's a different world we live in, man. You came up in the golden era of hip-hop around the best to ever do it. Man, what was that era like, man? Well, on the creative tip, I think, you know, you look at the the boom-bap era, you look yeah. at the original era, then you look at the, like, funk, funk uh, after funk came hip-hop. So, uh, you know, you had jazz, you had the, those years that jazz was really, you know, really high on the on the totem pole when it came, you know, like, you really had to be a genius to create music. So you had higher levels, like, the, the, there was, everybody just wasn't doing it because they could do it, you know, um, 
So you go through these eras of jazz and funk and rock and all of that, and that's where we that's where we took our samples from. And, and we you know we were we looked at the greats that were doing music before us because hip hop is sort of um, it's sort of rebellious. It's like instead of you being a having a band, we're gonna take two turntables and we're gonna scratch these uh, loops and keep going back and forth, and then we're going to perform this this uh, this this poetry, where now uh, everything is cut and paste. You, you know what I'm saying? It's, everything is kind of, it, it, it becomes cut and paste. So I, I really enjoyed listening to a lot of the boom bap because of the genius that was behind being creative with those samples. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it, you know, I remember when... Um, you know, when I would listen to a lot of stuff from Pete Rock and, and uh, uh, you know, uh, Diamond D and all of, all of the producers that were coming up before I had my hip record uh, around not the, like 91, 92. Like, I'm, I, was, I even flipped uh, that uh, sample that's in uh, the uh, Black Sheep song, you know, uh, This or That. I, I found the original sample. And Smith that because I I go back and I dig in the crates and I find the the loops from back in the days that were you know that were kind of unsung on 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 the genius that it took to think of that you know what I mean you know like yeah. when you listen to Buster Rhymes that whoa I got you all in check you know when you listen to that if people really knew where that was from and just that little sound bite that was taken off that record to create that it's a genius in itself. You know what I mean? So, you know, it's the creativity that I really love from back then. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Reddy Red, um, the Ghetto Boys, he was real good at that. You know, of course, he's the first to sample Scarface, Tony Montana. Um, Mr. Mix, mm-hmm. of course, Dre and Yella. Um, a lot of dope uh, talent back then, for sure. Now, you, uh, Marley- it's kind of ironic, man. You... Uh, wanted to get on Death Row and ended up on Ruthless. How did that happen? Uh, let's start with Death Row, man. What what um, happened with Death Row? Like, how did did you uh, um, do any work for them at all? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I produced on the Deep Cover soundtrack. Uh, that was the actual record. Okay, soundtrack okay. So, so that was what you did for them. Uh, what yeah, was your time like over there? <laughs> Um, I, it was cool, man. I, I didn't really, you know, we, I bonded with all the cats over there, you know, from Snoop to Daz to Corrupt. You know, everybody, we was all cool. I just wanted to get a, a hit record. And I, you know, I had to become Rhythm D. I, you know, I didn't really want to be a secondary uh, keyboard dude or producer up under somebody. You know what I'm saying? Like, I had to become me, which is really... You know, sometimes you got to follow your destiny, but I, I met Shug through one of his cousins who was rapping at the time, and she uh, she introduced me to Shug. I simultaneously didn't even know that I was going to run back into Shug after I met him for the first time, but I got reintroduced to him through the Lady of Rage. Um Really, really odd story, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, your life goes by pretty quick and you don't really pay attention to the 
to the uh, events that happen that lead you to your success or wherever you're going into your life. But I met Suge first before everybody. And I didn't even know that he was starting, that that dude was going to be who he was. I was just dealing with a lot of... uh, a lot of dough boys in the in the in the in the hood and a lot of managers and a lot of you know, just being in the studio to just to, you know, get a hit record. I had to be in the studio, somebody had to pay for it. I didn't have the money. So, you know, most of the producers would sign production companies and you know, it, it was it was the guy with the money, the the music producer and the artist. That's what it was. So all of those formulas I had a chance to jump in on in my early years. Because that's what it was about, you know, at the at the the peak of gangster rap. So I got over at Death Row via Rage, via my my, my other friend Diamond, and uh, met John Payne up there. And then he called Suge and told Suge that he reintroduced me to Suge, and then that's where it started. And then uh, I started coming up there every day, and you know, was around while everybody was recording the chronicle. You know, that's how it all wow. started. How how much of yeah. the chronic were you there for? Like, did did, did Dre and them finish it up before you left? Or? Um, I think they had pretty much most of it done because I remember have he had a, like a little listening party in his uh up at the Solar Building because that's where they recorded everything right there on Kawanga which is now, you know, it was Solar Records, and then it turned into the, uh, I think Babyface's ex-wife bought it, or she started, a, they started another company, but uh, they had uh, a listening party up there, and everybody was drinking, and they were listening to the album, so I think I might have left right before it popped off, because um, nothing but a G-Thing was on the radio already, and... Oh. I'm around why I'm around why all of the artists I saw a lot of artists from the East Coast. Um everybody was coming up to Death Row. Every every all the artists that were popping on the radio, all the black R and B artists would come up to Death Row. So it was like Suge kinda had his hand in, you know, everybody was everybody wanted to work with Dr. Dre. So Suge was able to pull all these artists in because Death Row was the new label. It was going to be the hottest label where you was going to actually get paid the, your right publishing and all of that. Nobody was going to, quote, unquote, fuck you over. So come to Death Row because Suge is going to handle everything. Um, but like I said, I just stayed over there for for a brief minute. And then after the riots, uh, the Diddy was on Kiss FM that song I produced on Paperboy, and I was like, well, I don't really have to go back to Death Row. I got a hit record already. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I was the, the you know how big Kiss the Van was? That was the biggest radio station ever. So when I heard Paperboy on Kiss the Van, I had a hit record, and then I never I never went back to Death Row. And Talk to during my time, what'd you say? Did you ever um did you ever talk to Suge um after you left? Like tell him, Hey man, um, I'm bounced or you just left? I just never showed back up again. I already had I had a hit record. I just everybody was 
they didn't need me over there. They had, they had their hands full. Everything was popping. You know, I went ahead and started my career and kept moving, kept it moving. It was during the riot. I was at Smokey Robinson's house because a lot of the I had a really big clique of, of Hollywood friends. So I was hanging out at Smokey's house because his daughter and and I are good friends, and we had this little clique. And I was sitting there, and I get a call from one of the young ladies that worked at Death Row, who I became real cool with. And she told me that she had a homegirl that needed that needed some beats, and it just so happened to be uh, Tracy, Easy's baby mama. Aaron's, uh, Aaron's mom, Evie's mom. That's who I was making beats for. And then she introduced me to Easy. I didn't even know that was his baby mom. I was just doing music for her. I think she was paying me to do her beats. And I was making her stuff sound good. And she was like, you know what? You know, my my baby daddy needs you. And I was like, damn, who's your baby daddy? She was like, Easy. And I was like, damn. They over there about to diss the hell out of him. He, you know what I'm saying? I had a choice to make because I was already over there at Death Row listening to all the songs that they was dissing him on, you know? So you heard Dre so Day that, and all that? I heard all of that. I was there when yeah. Dre came and pulled up. Dre came in and started pulling up the track to a nigga with a gun, sitting there watching his genius do his thing, and he's pulling up the track like, yeah, boy, this is what real production is about. You know what I'm saying? He's, I was young. He's still looking at me like, this is what it's, this is what I sound like. He's pulling up all these, all the tracks on the SSL board, and they banging like a motherfucker. All, you know, you got the, the loop to uh, the friends, the, the beat to the beginning of friends. That's the, that is the base, the, the, the main loop that's in a nigga with a gun. You know what I mean? So I heard all of that. I heard, you know, I heard pretty pretty much all of it. Dads would be in there, you know, cutting and scratching and making beats and everything. Like everybody had a little, everybody had fun creating that record. But like I said, I heard all the songs that that uh, that they were dissing Easy on, which is pretty much the whole chronic. And uh, you know, I had like I said, I had a choice. I was like, it was more. To, it was like, okay, you could join this camp over here and be on top of all the production. Or you can try to go back over there at death row and, I don't know, be the uh, the head crew chief. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. It just wasn't – it seemed more profitable and more correct for me to be, you know, and a little bit more wiser to go where I was needed. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I chose – you know, I, I – Tracy introduced me to Easy. She uh, gave him a, you know, this is when we had pagers. Remember pagers? We had pagers back then. So I had my pager, and he paged me, and uh, uh, he hit me back. I mean, he, he paid, paged me. I called the number back, and he was like, this Easy E, you know, we, we just hit it off. And I had to meet me at the studio while I was working on Paperboy's record. I, I bought Easy E to the studio. Everybody was in there looking all, you know, I bought him in the studio. Everybody was all starstruck and everything. I'm walking in with Easy. And I stopped the session and started playing beats for him. And then he had me come out to his house 
and uh, to the studio he had in his in, in in his house out there in Norwalk. I came out there and pulled up the SB twelve hundred and started banging them out. And that's all she wrote. He signed yeah, me right I mean, then and there. You know? the, the rest was a double platinum classic. Um, uh-huh. When uh, when you go over to Easy, you know, and um, he starts working on uh, the EP and everything. Um, how motivated was he to uh, to get back? You know, because that Dre Day, like you said, they were dissing him on the whole album. He had to have been just dying to get at him. Bro, he was so. He was probably so motivated, man. I, I hadn't seen anybody more motivated than that. You know, he really wanted to say what he had to say. We went through a gang of tracks. I probably did about 50, 50 tracks, and he didn't like none of them for his actual disc record. And then one night, I made a, I went into the studio, and I sit there and I just created real Compton CDGs. You know, I didn't know it was going to be that at the time. I was just making a beat. But, I, you know, I sampled my voice. That's me saying Compton in the beginning, beginning of it. I screwed my voice. You know, I slowed it down. And in the beginning of Real Compton City G's, that's me. That's me on the whole track. That's me saying, ah, Real Motherfucking G's. I just sampled myself in each pad of the SB1200 and just kept looping it through the through the beat while I was, you know, making the beat. But, you know, all that type of stuff, like, like I said, he needed something dope and something that was, you know, hard enough to stand up against the production over there without him getting clowned. And, you know, lucky for him and I, we linked up and I was able to make that that uh, that history on that record, you know, which people still be bumping today. So that's when, yeah. you know, I can actually, I left a mark, you know, I left a mark on the planet with that one. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and, and to me, I mean, you know, Dre Day was a, a dope song, but, um, man, he really got him with that real Compton City G's, man. And, of course, the inside of the cover, you know, um, that had been kind of hectic, man, at those times, man. Um, were, were you worried at all for your safety? I had Jerry Heller and Easy Guy had a... Uh bodyguards for me. Big Animal was my bodyguard. Another guy by the name of Mike Durrett. Sometimes the Big Animal wasn't wasn't uh, available and he was with Jerry. Um, there was these other uh, dudes named, they were called the Twin. Uh, Jake, John and Jacob. They would they would do security for me. At, you know, anywhere I would go, I'd have security. That's how much, that's how serious it was. You know, because with me, it was a little bit different. It was like I was already over at the rival label, and it sort of, so it looked like I jumped. It looked like I was a spy or something, you know what I mean? But that's not that's totally not how it was. What I was I was offered a job opportunity without me even knowing that that was the situation. You know what I mean? It was just like like I said, life is crazy. It just looked like that. So you know, and then you got the big crip and blood thing going on. You got it's all gangster rap. So. It, it was wild, man, you know, but it was fun as hell. I'm just glad that in the midst of that, I didn't get killed. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, yeah. Like, it's like wild, you said, you know what I mean? Like, you know. Bloods and Crips and, and, and uh, both record labels, yeah. then you had Chug and Easy. You know, Jerry told yeah. me 
years ago that Easy wanted to uh, kill Suge, and he talked him out of it. And um, yep. he said he was really going to do it. Do you think uh, Easy would have done it if Jerry hadn't said nothing to him? Um, hmm. That's a tough one because I know Easy wasn't about no, he wasn't no punk. You know what I mean? And yeah. at, at that time, like, like Easy loved Dre, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, regardless, he, you notice he didn't say he was, was going to kill Dre. He, was, he wanted to kill Shug. Yeah. So he was he was very, like, he was super hurt, like a brotherly hurt about how Dre went about. You know what I mean? Like, they all was wrong as two left shoes. Easy should have paid him more money. You know what I'm saying? It, it, everybody was wrong, man, at the end of the day. Like, I'm I'm a neutral I'm a neutral person in the situation as I'm looking at every at how the whole thing went down. You know, once once somebody starts talking about money and about how you haven't been getting your just paid over your hard work because it's super hard uh techno- technologically Dre was a genius at, at making all of that shit. So he deserved every dollar that he wanted at the end of the day because without him, the genius of that sound that he gave him, null and void. But without Easy's gangster, he couldn't feed off of that. So it's sort of like, you know, it, it's like the, it was the ultimate breakup, in, you know, in in hip-hop history was the, the whole NWA split because you have – you got – you got all these guys that are that are supposedly friends, but money comes in between them because of something else that has that none of them can control. Like you can't tell Easy that he's got to get rid of Jerry Heller and they've started this business together. You know what I'm saying? I understand I, because he's not gonna he's not gonna do that based on on what level he's on business with Jerry. You know. Yeah. It's a little. It goes. It goes way deeper than just fire Jerry. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you, you know what I mean? Like that's not, that's not gonna, that's not gonna happen like that. You know, fire Jerry and 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 it's our label now. That no. That's why Easy didn't do it because it would have just been like I can't do that. You will cause me more problems than than I've than I've had dealing with you. So, you know. At the end of the day, once once Suge got involved uh, with the situation, it made it worse, and so there was actually no way for to come back once it turned into legalities and the gangster shit really started going on, going on, and the racketeering and the in the in the ass whoopings and the you know all of that craziness. Once that starts getting involved with the threats and all of that, there's no going back. We got to keep going. Yeah, especially yeah, you know, it was like you know, the point of no return. Yeah, you have to point of no return, man. So, yeah. And, and you know, there, there you are. You know, uh, like you said, you stumbled into it because you were over there. You get a hit record, and then Tracy asks you to help Easy. 
you know, you didn't realize you were coming on board to do real motherfucking G's at first, you know. Um, no. But mm-hmm. once once Easy, you know, put his foot on the gas, so to speak, and, and you guys really got to to go on with that project. Did you um, did you know that this was going to be another hit? Because uh, his last album, it didn't do so well. It was a maxi single, only if you want it. It didn't do as good as Easy does it. Um, this was kind of like a show and prove moment for him, was it not? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, when Dre left the musical production, you know, outside of outside of what uh, Hutch and them were doing. Uh, which was incredible. Outside of what Hutch and, and uh Cocaine and all of them were doing, like he had he had a void in in direction of where everything should go. Um everybody was just recording making shit. Um but it was there was a there was a void there, you know. And he was he started working with, you know, KG and you know he easy would pick the guys that were the that were hot at the time. I think one of the main reasons that I got in the door over there is because I had one of the hottest singles on the radio at the time. So it wasn't like he was it wasn't like he chose me because I was a slouch. He 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 saw that it was somebody else. Number one, I was on Death Row, so it was almost like I went AWOL, and that's what he said at the on the back of the record. You know, he used a military term, but it actually wasn't true. I just met you on a fluke. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, I got this hot rate, uh, record on the radio, easy. I meet easy. He's like, damn. And this, and I got beats all day. So I think in a way I kind of reminded him of Dre. You know what I'm saying? That's why he chose me. It, I think that's really what it was. It was the versatility that I had and the fact that I was on death row at first and that made a that made a big part, an even bigger part of the story. Like, I got the producer that was over there that you guys didn't hold on to, and now he's up under me, and he's going to produce this this record that I'm gonna diss the fuck out of y'all on. So it, it made a big, made a really big impact, impactful story to the whole, you know, to the whole lineup. You know, it just made historic sense if you really look at it. That's how. That's just how history be happening. Yeah. Well, oh yeah. Yeah. And and yeah. I mean me, I, I I thought for sure, you know, that that made a bigger uh statement. And if you look at it to this day, I don't know if you've ever done this rhythm D, but if you look at Dre Day and uh you know, real real motherfucking G's and you look at um the each one that has the highest view count, I mean, uh, real real G's blows it out the water. You know, it's got hundreds oh, of Oh really? Million. I haven't I haven't yeah. looked at it. Yeah, I checked check that. I, you know, I checked that out, man. Um, you know, back in the day, you know, we, you had to pick sides. I was always team easy. You know what I'm saying? And, and uh, right, that's how we right. were. We we're 15 year old kids. You know what I'm saying? And, and uh, <clears throat> so, yeah, man. I I think more people, um, they really were rooting for Easy because they liked him. You know, he was a um, he was a funny character. Yeah. He was, uh, and then you find out later on in life he was very charitable, um, spending time oh, to make a wish. It's, I mean, that to me solidified, you know, what I'm saying what type of a person he was. You know, um, you know, for real. But uh, oh, yeah. 
you know, here you are, you you got a hit record, uh, you know, Paperboy, the Diddy, and then you you come over to Easy and uh boom, you know, he's got a a, a double platinum hit. Um yeah. I know times were rough. You were you were kind of saying you know you got the bodyguards with you and everything because the whole death row beef. But what are some of your fond memories of with Easy? Like you ever have any memories? It was just you and him hanging out that you look back on and reflect on. Oh man, so many of them. You know, I I, I lived with him. I was like his little brother. You know, I was just taller than him. You know what I mean? Like I lived with him, literally. You know, he was like a big brother to me and I, you know, we look, we talking about Christmas, like a lot of, like, even though I had, I, you know, I started getting paid. So I had a hit record on the radio that had nothing to do with Ruthless. Right. So I'm, I got about two or 300,000 in the bank more than able to, you know, I'm 20 some years old. I'm, I'm more than able to pay for my own uh, uh, Christmas gifts and stuff for my family. So we would, you know, we'd get in the car and we'd go Christmas shopping. When I would get all my stuff in, in the basket or wherever we're going, Easy would whip out his his credit card and take care take care of mine and his shit. You feel me? So that was like yeah. you know that was the kind of generosity. Even if I had ran up the tab about ten thousand, you know he would he would just hear. Let's just let's just swipe it. He had like a stack of credit cards uh, in a rubber band, and that's all he would wow. roll with. <laughs> he'd have a stack, and then he'd have a. He'd have a, probably about maybe six or seven thousand in cash in his sock, and 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 in his pistol on the other side. <laughs> so it was, you know, that that's the type of dude he was. He he's paying for all the meals, even even if you got it. One time we was arguing at the at the uh, restaurant. We had went out with these we, uh, a couple of girls, and he was like, "I got it." And he, you know, I'm like, "No, nah, I got it." You know what I'm saying? It was just. Those type of memories are just, you know, having fun and balling out of control. Of course, I didn't have the money that he had at that time, but, you know, I was coming up, you know. Anytime I'd buy a car, he would, him and Jerry would tell me to take it back. They could get a better deal. It was, you know, I was, I was spoiled, bro. You know what I mean? Like, it was just, I, it was like the, the best time to be a producer, uh, I think, was that time as opposed to now. Now that we got a lot of beat makers, uh, we're not getting, you know, cats like me and all of these other rap, these, these really OG producers, we were well taken care of by these labels. You know what I'm saying? These labels was paying us, you know, 15 to even 30,000 to sometimes even a hundred thousand dollars a track, bro. You know what I mean? So you do the math. It's that's, that, that's how, that's why everybody wanted to be a music producer, you know. And you, I mean, you uh, you had real big shoes to fill at Ruthless, man. And you, I, I have to say, it's almost like a, um, a new, uh, um, you know, member of the baseball team coming over. And your first at bat, you're wondering, is this guy going to produce for us? And you knock one out the oh, park. Yeah. You know, um have you ever talked to Dre? Have you and him ever met? I mean, you know, after the Chronic days and after all this, years later. Um, I think I might have ran into him one time at uh, at the might have been on the set of some movie or something. I ran into him one time, and you know, you know, he shook my hand. We, you know, 
it was it was cool. It wasn't it wasn't anything weird, you know. I haven't yeah. seen him since then. I haven't you know I haven't been around him. But I, I you know at the end of the day, um, all that stuff is the past. It was, it was a lot of fun and a lot of heartache and pain. He probably uh, I'm more than positive that dude that went through a lot of pain in the industry. You know, like uh, as far as like you know from getting in fights and, and, you know, that, that he is the man and definitely has been through a lot. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Some of the shit people and... like that's, you know, it, to be on top, you got to go through a lot of shit. And that's, you know, that he would be the Michael Jordan, you know, of that situation where I would probably be Kobe. You did like, he would be definitely Michael, but I learned a lot from him. You know what I'm saying? As far as, you know, mixing and, you know, I learned, I learned a lot from him and uh, Donovan, the dirt biker, uh, John Payne, just a lot, a lot of technical stuff. Chris, the glove. I, met, I learned a lot from him. Uh, uh, Battle cat. Uh, even stuff from quick. You know, I think we all kind of, you know, learned from each other. You know what I'm saying? Like just different different things, but yeah, I, I would say that, you know, if, if I ran into him, it'll probably be all love. I'm pretty sure. I don't, you know, I don't, you know. It doesn't make great is, music, to be honest with you. Yeah, um, yeah, I, you know, that would be an epic picture. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. If, we, if I took a picture with him, it, it'd be kind of epic. That would be an NFT. Uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah, your Instagram yeah. would go crazy for that, man. Um, oh, man, Every, everybody would be bugging. They'd be like, oh, my God, what the, you know. That would be that would be something, but seem to do it in, in some years. I've seen um, Dre in some years. We had uh, we recently had Phyllis Pollock on, who was also in the uh, We TV um, Mysterious Death Easy docu series, and uh, we uh-huh. bring this up in the years too. A lot of people talk about Easy's briefcase, man. Um, supposedly, there's all kinds of stuff in there, all kinds of tracks. Have you? Uh, um, I mean, do you think there's a lot of uh, unreleased easy stuff out there? Did he have a briefcase he'd carry a lot of stuff with him in? Um, he would – Easy wasn't like Pac with the pen. So yeah. it really wasn't a lot of – you know, you got to realize I did the, his very last record, uh, which was the Impact of a Legend. I produced that whole album. Uh, it was And it was, a, it was a, a, actually a seven-song EP with the video game, Tamika uh, uh, got at me to, to come over there and produce it. And this came out early 2002, 2001 or something, something like that. But uh, he only had maybe a few, you know, a few songs. Some uh, Don Jaguar, who's Earl, uh, wrote a lot of the stuff that I, that I took in. And um, I took some of the songs and, you know, via Pro Tools, had to slow stuff down and just take certain songs, certain uh, verses and piece them together and make something out of it and came up with that, you know. Uh, so it's, a, you know, like I said, it, it wasn't like Pac. Um, but, I'm, but he has more, he's probably got more beats <laughs> than anybody because I was, making, I was making 10, 12 beats a day. For, for I don't know how many years You know what I mean So he's probably got a gang of my, my beats Just a gang of it he, he even had 
beats from Dre that, you know, the Dre and Yellowhead did. As a matter of fact, the, the uh for the love of money on, on the on the Bone Thugs and Harmony uh creeping on the come up, that that beat, uh Dre and Yellow did that beat. You know, that was the beats that was on Yo More Markey's album. Yeah. And for the love yeah, of Yeah, that song didn't do too good so they decided to use it again. Yeah, um, and it and it blew up. It blew up. So he had unused so. Dre tracks. I can only imagine huh? what they sound like. We heard one yeah. of them. Heard one of them I hear because Crazy D, uh, Dre gave him a tape of one of the songs they did. Uh, Easy E was rapping, and um, we only played about thirty seconds because that's all he gave us. But uh, it had that NWA and the Posse vibe, so it was old. You know, right. probably seven, you know, maybe early eighty-eight. Um, right. I imagine there's some stuff out there because uh, at one point in time, supposedly um, somebody had a briefcase with a bunch of stuff, like you said, it might have just been a bunch of beats or, or, or whatever, but uh, nothing was ever recovered. I believe we would have heard something by now, you know? Yeah. Yeah, if he if he had anything else, it might have been recorded on on ADAT when he got, when he had bought his, bought his, bought some ADAT equipment, when he was, you know, he started putting his own studios in his house. So he might have, he might have some stuff, but a lot of that stuff, People people might have it and don't even know that they have it. You know they have him on there. You know what I'm saying like a lot of stuff is probably in storage somewhere, or you know. But I know every I had everything on two inch when I did that album, and I, it, it wasn't that much material. I think some of one of the verses had went on one of Mac Ten's albums prior to that, and, and I did the beat for that. <laughs> It's crazy. Like he had a, there was a beat that I did, if I'm not mistaken, on on the, on that, that album that I produced. Uh, the money's just a touch away with him and Gerald Avert. There was another song on there that they put Easy's verse on, and I I had the same verse when I went ahead when I went and did the uh, Impact of the of the Legend album. So. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I had, I had some uh, technical difficulties here for the last few seconds. But um, um, the question I was I was I was leading into you before that was, you know, the last uh, you know month of his life or so, was he uh, acting like he might have been sick to you? Like did he um, or was he acting strange at all? Did he uh, seem different, or did you not you know just the same easy? Well. Um... Honestly speaking, I didn't see him that much. Um, I didn't even know. Like, I started getting, I started kind of moving away. Once once I started getting my own money and I started moving out the house and, you know, now I'm, you know, I got the, I got a girl, the girlfriend thing. I'm moving her in. So easy. I started kind of getting away, getting out of, up under being up under him, you know what I mean, and you know, um, I didn't really know. I didn't get. A, I didn't really get a chance to see he was sick. Uh, Dracer and and BG Knockout saw more of that because I was. I was. He had me in the studio working on. Who was I working on? 
Matter of fact, I was working on Gangster Dre during BG Knockout uh, during that time. Or was it was it Bone? I'm trying to think who I was working on. I might have been working on Bone Thugs and Harmony, but I wasn't living with him anymore, so I didn't see him as much. And then then around that time, I, I think I was actually going to try to get off and go get my own uh, my own deal. I was I was kind of over there talking to Brian Turner about my own label deal at the time. So I didn't. I, that's when me and Easy kind of like started getting distant a little bit. And then uh, I found out that uh, that he had full blown AIDS. Uh, one of my good friends, Shari Henry, Henry, called me, and she was real close to him. And she told me that he had that he was he had tested and he had AIDS and that just blew blew me away because we hadn't talked so you know we hadn't been talking for a minute and I was kind of like it, it was just crazy that you know you you grow up you you start going your step you don't have no problem with anybody and I was still signed to Ruthless it's just that I was growing up you know what I mean and yeah. I started having my own shit and. You know, I'm blowing up as a producer, and you know, you change as a man, and you you know, you start, you know. And then I was feeling myself more. You know what I mean? Like I'm, you know, I'm hot. I'm, I got hot records on the radio. I'm gonna produce this, produce that. I don't need nobody. I don't need easy. You know what I'm saying? I started, I started having the big head, so I started moving away and getting distant. And then you know that happened. Uh, and it just, you know, it hurt, man. It was like, damn, it's like my my big bro, you know. So, like I said, I didn't really get a chance to see his, see him get sick. I just knew that I got the, I got the news, uh, and I was actually on my way to the house that I lived in to pick up some of my stuff when, uh, when all this transpired. When they told me that he had passed out, and you know, because I had, I had him paying for another studio that I wanted to work in outside of the main you know, the audio achievements where all the NWA was recording. And he, you know, he was just shelling out cash, just, you know, where, wherever I wanted to go work at, I had 12-hour sessions there. So in between that time, I, I probably would pop in and see, you know, he'd drop off some weed, but I didn't really, like I said, I didn't get a chance to see him really maybe probably, I didn't see him for about a month. Um like I said, I, once I wasn't living with him, I didn't see him that much. You know, I got my own spot, and you know, I'm doing my thing. I got, <laughs> I'm, I'm at the club, I'm doing big things, and then, boom, he got sick, and that's when everything went haywire. And he started. I will tell you this. He would call me, and he would always he would call me, and he'd be like, he would call me, and then Jerry would call me closer to the end of all of this when he when he really started getting sick he was trying to shake Jerry like no lie he was like he wasn't talking to him and Jerry would always call me and be like man what's have you talked to Eric man I was like no and I, I and I was telling him the truth I, I hadn't really talked to him but I knew something I knew something was going on when Jerry had to call me to ask if I had talked to him something was weird happening you know what I mean so it just that 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 is what made it solidified it. You know, he was trying to he was trying to move away from Jerry, for sure. 
Oh, see, yeah, yeah I, I didn't know. I mean, we talked to Jerry a few times before he passed, and um, he always told us that he was never fired and, and you know, everything was on good terms and, you know, but. Say, yeah, no, nah, he was, he was, I, I didn't, I didn't say that he fired him. All I'm saying is that he was trying to, he was being distant from it. He was you trying I mean? to, okay, try to create a little He's, separation. Um, yeah, he was he was creating a separation, which means that he was on his way to doing that. And that's the, those, these are facts. I'm telling you, this is rhythm speaking to you right now. This ain't, we ain't on TV. I'm telling you for real, for real. He would, Jerry would call me and be like, have you spoken to Eric? And it was just, I, you know, cause I'm not, I'm, you got to remember, I'm not living with easy no more. I done moved, got my own uh, condo. I'm, you know, my life is going, you know, I'm producing all types of, all types of artists and I'm trying to get my own deal. And then all of a sudden Jerry starts calling me. It's like, yo, you know, where's, you know, have you talked to Eric? And he'll do, he would do this two or three times a week. And so like it, it hurts when somebody's trying to shake you that you've been so close to like shaking somebody by not talking to them is worse than just telling them straight up that you don't want to, that you ain't fucking with them no more. You feel me? So it's that that's the, that's what happened and then he, and then and he got sick. So all of that stuff he got sick like before all of that happened he was already kind of kind of sick with his bronchitis and his asthma and all that type of stuff, you know what I mean? But at the end of the day, uh you know, I believe he might have just caught he might have just caught that shit and you know, I think that might have been it that he really caught it. You know, yeah, and yeah. I mean, he, at the end of the day, he, you know, he was trying to shake Jerry all at the same time. He didn't. I don't think he knew he was sick like that, but uh, all the stuff had transpired all around the time that he started getting sick. You know, because you were you were in the middle. You know, because you're getting calls from Jerry. Um, yeah. Prior to all this, though, what was your relationship like with Jerry Heller? Oh, that was great. Oh. That was like my, like my grandfather, like my uncle. Oh. I never had any, uh, never had any problems with Jerry. Jerry was, Jerry was over at, we'd be eating steak at Monty's Steakhouse. Hanging out with Jerry would be like hanging out with, with, uh, with the good fellas. That's exactly how it was. So no, I, you know, me and Jerry were cool as hell, man. I actually talked yeah. to him a little bit. Yeah, my last time talking to Jerry was the week, the week of the uh, Straight Outta Compton movie when that came out. I talked to him that, you know, that week. But. Was he anticipating the the movie? Because I know uh, when he was on the show here, he's like, "I'm going to go see a front row with my lawyers." <laughs> you know. Yeah, because you know, because they're going to look at him in the, in, the, in that in that light. But you know, at the very end of the day, man, I will say this: every key element, every person that had to do with Ruthless Record played a key element in Ruthless Record's success. It wasn't yeah. just Dr. Dre's beats. It wasn't just his his production. 
and his genius behind that. It's everything. Everything you you have a when you have a record label, you have a machine. You know, because I can I can remember like it was yesterday when Suge was telling these these uh, radios radio uh, people that he was gonna fuck them up, play nothing but a G thing. Because when nothing but a G thing came out, even though it was Dr. Dre's song, everybody it had to it it brought a, a different change in the tempo of what was popping. It was it was a slower tempo, and everything was the biggest song on the radio at the time was Jump Around and Jump by you know what I mean. It was a different type of beat. So there's there's all different types of people that that play a part in hip hop. It isn't just one person, and Jerry Heller. His business savvy is what made these records get into the right places to where they could get to where they could go on top. You know, yeah. everybody has a connection. So, like, you know, that, that you know, Jerry Heller is part of NWA. They, they even mentioned his name on the record. So you can't take that off. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Even you probably bad, said that the super dope manager, Jerry Heller. I mean, if you listen to all... That shit was dope, yeah. like the old. I mean, all that stuff was incredible, man. You know what I mean? I, I most of that stuff NWA was doing. I was still in high school. Like these dudes is, these dudes is a little, or like maybe seven to eight years older than me. You know what I mean? So, yeah. I got I I met Easy at the tail end of his his uh his career, and uh, it was like I said, it was a great experience, and I enjoyed myself, but. Uh, I was a spoiled producer that was well taken care of and had a great time with West Coast hip hop. You know what I mean? Well, you and helped him have... go out on top, and you know what I mean. You helped Easy oh, yeah, reestablish, yeah. reinsert himself, um, and then of course you know yeah. he signed Bone as well, and they went on to be yeah. uh, probably one of the most successful groups of all time as far as record sales. That you know, part. What I mean? you know um, that part. Uh, I got just a couple more questions for you, Rhythm D. Uh, I got the homie Sin from France. Um, I know he's going to ask you about a couple classic songs real quick. I'm going to bring mm-hmm. him on. It's been uh, real dope talking to you, man, again. Uh, Sin, are you yeah, there, brother? Yes, yes. Uh, hi, uh, Scott. Uh, hi, Legendary Rhythm D. Um, hey. Yeah. Can I tell us about the, the song you put us Attack on Babylon was the, the album Shack of the Hour, classic of MC Ren from back in the oh, day. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, I produced Attack on Babylon on MC Ren's album. And MC Ren at the time became, uh, he was a, uh, he was part of the Nation of Islam. So that song is is uh, one of the I would say it, it would be the fuck the police version of a nation of Islam uh, um, inspired song against white America. And so you got to imagine the the what I'm producing and Jerry Heller's right there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it was it's like. It was a, it was, if you know, you're talking about attack on Babylon and, and a lot of biblical things. Uh, a lot of biblical references are in there. It's just a lot of stuff that 
you know, that I'm, as I'm growing up and being in, in different religions, um, I could pull, I could pull and be inspired on the darker level of where that song needed to go. So, you know, I took a couple of loops and, and started just going in and, and trying to make Bryn something that he liked. And he, you know, he made a, I made the beat and he, he sat up there and he was like, man, I like that. Let, let's, you know, let's lay something to it. And he started, you know, writing and he came up with that. Attack on Babylon. Yeah, yeah it, it was a time of, he was on Moscow 45 in Compton. <laughs> Back in the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, was, it, was way, it was a lot different than anything from from NWA, but it's still that record, uh, that uh, shock of the hour, was a classic because of his religious uh, stance on uh, white America, and it you know it changed it 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 just added to his you know nigger with attitude uh, even it, it was even now it's a smart nigger with attitude you know what I mean and that's what it just it turned into that and it was more militant than than gangster. It turned, you know, he was he, yeah. he, he turned into a gangster. Mil- it, it turned really mit- uh, fight the power, sort of like a, a cross between N.W.A. and Public Enemy. Uh, so that that whole album was dope. Uh, uh, a couple of other, a few other producers were on there. Tutti, uh, who else? Uh, I think, if I ain't mistaken, um, Bobcat is on there who produced L.L. If I'm not mistaken, I'm not. Don't quote me on that one, but uh, yeah, a lot of producers. Willa from Solid Productions, they produced uh, they produced this uh, song called uh, uh, "A Nigga You Don't Want to Fuck With." That always carrying a Mac Ten. Ran is a nigga that you don't want to fuck with. You you remember that song? That was uh, that's the one where he's talking through the through the uh, through the whole beat. So yeah, that was that was the fun. I was a it was, it was what was cool about my career is I got to work with everybody from NWA. Come on now, how cool was that? <laughs> At the end of the you know what I mean? Like yeah. each person, each person, uh, the only person I didn't, I haven't had. Well, I can't say I haven't worked with him, but I would say I haven't, didn't get really a chance to like work with him one on one, and that's Ice Cube. But everybody else, I kind of, you know. I produce something on, or you know, that's Yellow doing the scratching on a couple of songs. I'm on his album. Uh, the actual song that I did on Menage a Trois that that was on Yellow's uh, record label, uh, and that was distributed by Rufus. So, yeah, you, you had a great time, man, working with all that stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. right. You, you made also uh, two drop songs for for Bantag and for. Down from a tang for classic Crippin' and a Comet, and uh, also Crazy Pass of Flesh for Flesh and Bone. Can you tell us about these two? Uh, these two dogs. So, down, down from my thing, uh, they had been working with with DJ Unique uh, because I, they, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't have the time because Easy had me working on something else. So, I come to the studio and I just whip up the beat right there in front of them. And these guys, I mean, they was incredible, man. They, they, they were, uh, I was like, man, they rapping too fast. <laughs> so, uh, I pulled up, a, I started 
you know, doing a slower beat. And I was like, man, y'all call Bones. I'm going to make this dark, evil-sounding, uh, twisted beat, sort of trip-hoppy, you know what I mean? Like, it's got, you know, really uh, 16-bit sounding. Uh, I took a, a drum loop from one of the break beats and kind of chopped it up and made it go off and on at the same time. And uh, it just sounded just really dark, you know, and I, you know, like I like that really dark sounding kind of metal-ish kind of sounding. I like those type of beats and I'm, you know, I I like making that. And that's what I made for them on uh, down for my thing. And it ended up being like a really big anthem for them. And then on the Crazy by the Flesh, Flesh and Bone left and got his own solo deal over at Def Jam. And uh, I started working with him, and I did Crazy by the Flesh. Crazy by the Flesh, that's actually, um, I found a clip from the movie The Fly with Jeff Goldblum. Do you remember that? Oh, classic. And that's actually Jeff Goldblum saying uh, crazy by the flesh. So <laughs> that's actually, I sampled him saying that from the movie, but I twisted it and I, you know, I resampled it and twisted it and put my, my own voice on top of it. And then it, then it came out saying crazy by the flesh, the flesh, the flesh, the flesh. So I sampled that, looped that in there behind it, and, you know, uh, flesh went crazy when he heard it, and he just went in there and started writing his rhymes to it, and, you know, that was all she wrote. Yeah. It was a genuine sighting. Yeah, it was, you know, it was one of the things where, like, I try to be creative as possible, uh, because I try to go off of my own thoughts, you know what I mean? Like I, we didn't, I didn't really have too much influence. Like I'm the one that's making the history. So I don't, I don't, when you're the one that's making the his, history, you don't know what you're doing. You're just going, you know what I mean? You're just, you're, you know, uh, you, you don't, like you, you feel it, but you don't know it until it becomes history because you're the one that you're part of that. You're the one that's doing it. So, uh yeah, just being like I said, trying to be I'm trying to go think outside of the box. You know, I wanna I wanna like every to this day I'm still a beat junkie. I don't I don't get tired of I'm like probably the hardest working man in showbiz. You know what I'm saying? Like I've I've been in the studio every day mixing, mastering, trying to come up with that different beat. I think I'm gonna probably be seventy years old still making beats and I don't mind that. I still have the passion for creating hip hop. I don't I don't feel old. I don't feel, you know, I'm 50 now. So I don't, and I don't feel that way. I still feel 25 when it comes to making hip hop and music. So, you know. Yeah. Uh, there should be no uh, uh app on um uh music and hip hop. You, you kind of feel that there is because uh, other genres of music um I mean, these guys rock until they die. I mean, the guy from the Stones just died. Dusty Hill from ZZ Top just died. You know, virtually, literally on the road. Um, yeah. Why do you think there's ageism in hip hop? Uh, because we have, because we have uh, old school hip hop now. That's the only reason why. 
You feel me? Once there, once you put a, once you put a, uh, a stamp or a stigma on something or a genre, now it becomes that. The same way the trap is now. Trap, yeah. Soon trap will be a thing of the past. Um, you got to remember when the kids, you know, a kid that's 12 now is going to probably like, like these kids that are that like the like the generation Z or whoever that might be the, the, the even younger kids, they're gonna think that trap music is like how disco was. They're not gonna want to hear that shit. It's gonna be some new sound that's gonna make them uh, like it. So uh, one of the main reasons why we we separate ourselves is because we get tired. We separate ourselves from the from the youth is because most of us haven't learned how to use auto tune, and so we don't. You know, you got the boom bap rappers, you got the real hip hoppers. You have so many. Um, this is what it is. We have so many different genres of music inside of the mother of, of, called hip hop, and so that's what separates us now. Because the different genres came out in different uh, times. So you got hip-hop that started the, in the late 70s is now going to be old school to somebody who's doing hip-hop in the 80s. So now you got the 80s hip-hop that, that was even old to us when we were in the, in the 90s doing hip-hop with, when we flipped it into gangster rap. You know, you know, hence Snoop doing Lottie Dottie over again. So, you know, it's like, once that once songs start getting redone, and you know the 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 stigma of old school versus new school happens, um, one thing that we don't do is honor our old school hip hop the way that R and B and rock and roll has done, and classic jazz have, has done for their artists. We kind of put we say, hey, yeah, hey, you're old, you don't, you're not popping anymore, and that's not necessarily true. Uh, most of the old guys are still dope, you know, in, in production. Some of them are played out and a little dated on, on rapping, uh, but they're not old, old. You know what I mean? Once you get dated, uh, like it's something I never want to be when it comes to making music is being dated. I don't want to be stuck on one sound and one genre of music. I consider myself a music producer. Who just so happen to have, who, who just so happen to have produced gangster rap and boom bap, and all of these different types of music. You know, I look at like Quincy Jones' life, and this man produced Frank Sinatra, and then turned around and produced one of the biggest artists of all time, which is Michael Jackson, made him his biggest hit record. So there is no, there is no genre for me that I cannot tackle or I cannot produce because I'm a music musician producer, and so. That's one of the reasons why, like I said, we don't we don't pay homage to our old. We try to put our old cats uh, in the closet and say they're not popping anymore. And that's what separated the youth from the old, the old school rappers. If that's you know, I hope I if, if I answered that correctly. Uh, that's a great yeah. way of putting it. You know, uh, I never even thought of it like that because <clears throat> you know back in the day, um, you always paid homage to those before you. At least that's how it should be, like you're saying. Um, there's not yeah. enough of that now. But with a lot of these podcasts, you know, um, 
You got like the Gangster Chronicles with MCA. You got Holding Court with Big Court. A lot of these podcasts, they're um, you know they're they're talking to you guys like we're doing tonight with you. You know, and you're telling exactly. these amazing stories, and I think that's generating a lot of interest. You know, uh, just like when Straight Outta Compton came out. Uh, I was a little upset that it didn't include, uh, you know, I'm saying the rebuttal to Dre Day, um, but uh, it jumpstart a lot of things, you know. Yeah, a lot of people were upset about that, but I wasn't expecting it to be in there. You know what I'm saying? Because of who was creating the, like, you got to realize something. Like you said, that record had a big if you know if you're right about it having more streams than on on youtube than dre day then that's probably one of the main reasons why like everybody really supported easy and felt he was getting picked on and felt he was getting done a certain way uh especially when you know especially when he started having problems with suge himself they really looked at it like okay dre made a mistake you dig what i'm saying so yeah. it made it look like, at the end of the day, it made it look like Dre made a mistake, but then again, he didn't because he got with Jimmy Iovine, and now they're billionaires. So it's it's one of them things where that song stuck, it, it stood out, and I think it really stood out because it was he came out second. You know, you you always want to be the guy that doesn't come first. You know what I'm saying with your diss record. You always want to be, you want to come up with your backup. I want to come out second. I don't want to come out first out, you know, unless I know I'm just going to knock him out the box. Dre wasn't yeah. expecting, Dre wasn't expecting Rhythm D to go over there and do the beat that was going to diss him. He wasn't expecting none of that. And neither was I. I had no idea I was going to be dissing the guy that I, was, that I wanted to do work for over at the label that he was mad at. I mean, come on now. Yeah, I can't make this. I make this up. This is a movie. I can't make it up. You know. No, 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 not at all. Um, and it, it worked out. You know, in, in the end, great for the fans because I always like a good hip hop rivalry as long as it doesn't lead to like you said, people getting killed. And you know, like we don't want to see what happened with Pac and Big ever happen again. And, um, of course, it is in hip hop now. A lot of the uh, younger artists are getting killed on uh, on the regular. Even some of the older cats. So rest in peace, the homie Gonzo. Um, did you ever have the opportunity to work with him at all? Yeah, I did. I produced his single. Uh, I got it made. I took the sample of a uh, of um, remember the, the song I got it made by what's the old school rapper's name? Um, damn, what's his name? I got a brain fart right now. What's his name? It did. I got I it made. Uh, Special Ed. Gonzo oh, okay. came to me about 99, I think. It was either 99 or 2000. Gonzo had a deal. Um, he had a deal over at, at, at some independent label. And I came in and I produced that song on him. It became real cool. Um, that shit, but, you know, I've worked with so many rappers that have passed away. It's, it's kind of weird. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, you got to be numb to that, uh, you know, to a certain degree. Because, like you yeah, said, I mean, he's like an older brother to you. And, um, 
But yeah, that was a shocker because uh, a lot of people that that follow Gonzo, you see him on his Instagram on the regular. You know, you just don't expect that. And uh, nope. you know, Shock G before him, uh, Bismarck yeah. E. I mean, so many oh, man. man. It's, yeah. it's like the wrestlers we grew up watching. You know, um, yep. they're all dead, with the exception of yeah. a few of them. You know that part. It's him. I just you know it really is. Uh, Rhythm D, uh, man, is, I, I, I wish we would have done this a lot sooner, man. Uh, it was real good to catch up with you, and I hope we can yeah, do man. it again in the future. You know, we just had uh, Yella on the show, um, you know, for his new book. Uh, before we get out of here, though, is that something you might want to do, a book or a documentary or something in the future? Yeah, I got some things that I'm working on. I'll, uh, you know, we'll keep chatting, and, then, and uh, you know, maybe I can launch them in a you know, tell you about them so you could you could be the first to know. I appreciate that, man. Definitely, really yes, do, sir, man. man. Uh, uh, thank you so much for taking the opportunity to talk to us. And uh, is there anything else you want to say before we get out of here, brother? Man, the Murder Master Music Show—that's where we at. Appreciate that, Rhythm D. Uh, you take care of yourself, brother, and be safe, man. Man, God bless. Absolutely. As Rhythm D, everybody, legendary producer, uh, man, I, I don't really have to say much about him. He speaks for himself. Um, thanks for tuning in to the show tonight. Shout out to Sin, you know what I'm saying, uh, for uh, calling in, you know what I'm saying, ask some dope questions. And, uh, man, we're going to get out of here. Rest in peace to Easy. And if you haven't, check out the. Uh, make sure to check out that docuseries, Mysterious Death of Easy E. Of course, you're going to hear a couple clips from our show on there. You're going to see Rhythm D on there. You're going to see many of the guests we've uh, interviewed over the years on there as well. Um, very well put together documentary. I like it, so I'm looking forward to uh, checking out the rest of it. Take it easy, and, uh, you know what I'm saying, make sure to uh, keep fucking with us, UGSForLife.com. <laughs>